Hello, everybody, and thank you for tuning in to the Liberty Report. With us today, Daniel McAdams, our co-host. Daniel, good to see you. New happy, week. Happy Monday, Dr. Paul. Yes, and I guess there's a lot of unhappy people in the Middle East yeah. and around the world, and, and we have to talk about what's happening yeah. because uh, we don't see any rosy scenario in no. a short period of time, but I would argue that it's uh, not brand new. You know, there's been a lot of fighting, killing, and even just in the last century was a pretty bloody century. But anyway, <clears throat> we will deal with that. But there's a lot of excitement now. Uh, didn't talk about the specifics of the Middle East in the last uh, several weeks because we had to have a speaker. We had to have a leader yeah, to yeah. tell us what to do and, and where to go. And, uh, and that has been resolved. And it seems like uh, there has to have been some pretty good work behind the scenes because there was no big fight. And it looks like liberal Democrats went along with it. And I, I guess some Republicans had a resistance, but they, they had to go along with it too. I think they had the exhaustion and they had, had to do something. But uh, there was hope. So we certainly wanted good things to happen. And we realized that the new speaker, you know, uh, at times didn't like the idea of wasting all that money in Ukraine. Yeah. And we thought, well, this is, this is going to be a little different. But now, uh, how long has he been speaker? About a week. Less than a week, yeah. <laughs> and uh, he says uh, in his interview, he said that, uh, well, well, on this issue, I was, I've evolved a little bit. There's a little bit of evolving. You know, I think the word evolving is can be used either way because I think it's more likely to be used evolving into something, you know, wonderful and good. But evolving really just as changing things so you can evolve going in the other direction but uh i think it was meant to be this but others are saying well maybe it is evolving has it is changing and the high hopes that we would definitely have a different foreign policy uh would make a difference now uh what we've heard this past week we're starting uh, to ask questions about uh exactly what we're going to get but it is it's a it's a big deal trying to figure out my thoughts when I, I I was listening to this evolving it and why is he changing uh who who sends out the directives yeah. have you ever thought about you know uh, we're going to be talking about several things going on and uh and and Biden may or may not have expressed an opinion but I think I've, more and more, and I don't think this is an astounding statement, more and more I get to thinking, I don't even know if he knows about it. I think there are announcements and certain things happen, <laughs> and uh, he, at least he doesn't give you the impression that uh, he, he, ha he has control of the thing. Now, the speaker, we had high hopes, but right now we'll have to watch carefully, but uh, I, I think uh, for to, to exist in that place up there called D.C., uh, it's a good place to come and visit and say hello, have dinner and leave. Yeah, and leave But anyway, uh, he has signed, there are changes, uh, and some of it hints that uh, he's drifting away from a non-interventionist foreign policy. Not that he ever claimed yeah, that he yeah. was a non-interventionist. Yeah, but I think he followed with the more... Uh, populist uh, conservative wing in opposing we've already spent 150 billion in Ukraine well here's the article we're talking about this is from Politico and it's not just this article it's a couple of other things we have but 
Uh, they write, uh, Speaker Johnson's Ukraine views have been, quote, evolving. Uh, and this is a cautionary tale for what happens when you get power in D.C. Go to the next clip. This is Johnson before being Speaker uh, <coughs> from the same article. Johnson's voting record doesn't bode well for Ukraine. He received an F on the Republican for Ukraine advocacy, advocacy group's report card and has argued that there is <coughs> insufficient oversight. Last year, he voted against sending Kiev a $40 billion package, saying he'd be better spent on priorities at home. Pre-Speaker Johnson, no way, Jose, money for Ukraine. Now that he's Speaker, go to the next one. <laughs> Asked whether he supports more assistance to Ukraine on Wednesday, he was surprisingly clear. We all do. <laughs> we're going to have conditions on that. So we're working through, he said. We want accountability and we want objectives that are clear in the right house, from the White House. So we all support it. And he went on Hannity to uh, expound a little bit on his uh, views on Ukraine and Russia. And they're surprisingly mainstream neocon, Dr. Paul. I'll go back one, actually. This, we don't need that one right now. We want to do the clip, the video clip of him on Hannity. I think we want to do the, you might want to grab your earpiece, Dr. Paul. Uh, do. Hang on just one second to get plugged in. Do those first uh, 50 seconds to hear a little bit about what Mike Johnson really thinks about foreign policy. Now, we can't allow Vladimir Putin to prevail in Ukraine because I don't believe it would stop there. And it would probably encourage and empower China to perhaps make a move on Taiwan. We have these concerns. Um, we're, we're not going to abandon them. We, we want to be cooperative. We need to work together on this. But we, we owe it to the people to know what the plan is, where the money is going to be spent. And we need some auditing for the dollars that we've already sent over there. These are not tough questions, right? One thing that House Republicans are resolved on is that we must stand with our most important ally in the Middle East, and that's Israel. Um, we will. I, we, we certainly hope that it doesn't come to boots on the ground. Uh, if, if it comes to that, and we communicated this to the White House staff as well today, that, um, you know, we have the Article I power in the legislative branch of government, and Let's they have Article II, there. they have if very limited authority. Stay on with that. Go back to the tweet itself. Um, there's a couple of interesting things. Just go on to it without What they can do to respond. The without person who posted it, has some, that was Mike, Michael Tracy. If we can just go back to it. He made some good points. Uh, go, no, go back to the, the video one without playing the video, if we can do that. Uh, yeah. The, the link, yeah. Okay, here he is, Michael Tracy. Well, I think he's a very astute, uh, yeah, just pause that. He makes a good point. So Mike Johnson, the new Speaker of the House, tells Sean Hannity, we can't allow Putin to prevail in Ukraine. U.S. boots on the ground may be required to stand with Israel he supports Israel directly attacking Iran, and he calls Russia, China, and Iran the new axis of evil. So he is literally, Dr. Paul, a carbon copy of the Bush-era neocons. Uh, Mike Cernovich, who is a very well-known uh, conservative Republican commentator, he tweeted this after watching this Hannity segment, and it's kind of interesting because the reason why this is interesting, I think, is Dr. Paul, because... We have to give credit to Thomas Massey, who says, you know what, McCarthy, for as bad as he is, getting rid of him is, may not be a good idea. Here's what Cernovich said. Republicans traded its greatest fundraiser in decades for an end times obsessed evangelical who believes a large Middle Eastern war is what will usher in the return of Christ. Great stuff, guys. There's Cernovich. So there are people on the right uh, who don't like this stuff. So anyway, sorry for the long intro, <laughs> but 
The point is that, unfortunately, as Tom Woods says, no matter who you vote for, you always get John McCain. And it looks like <laughs> oh, we boy. got John McCain. Yeah, you know, he, th there's dramatic change in attitude and tune about this boot stuff. Yeah. Good. Nice. And we have some other information we'll talk about that we're, we're always on the ground. Yeah. You know, we have CIA agents and special forces. And, uh, you, you know, our, our outposts are already pretty close here, uh, you know, right up in Syria and Iraq, you know. There was a time when we thought we left Iraq, the war we lost, and then we were left. Yeah. No, no, we're still there. So it's uh, the boots are on the ground, but what they're really talking about is where the rifles are being carried and uh, the people who are being killed are, are Americans. And uh, that, that, fortunately, you know, people still despise that, but it's still so hypocritical. Yeah. Yeah. Remember when the war broke out and there were some that were making fun of, of you know, th this war is going going to go. It's going to go badly until, uh, uh, you know, enough uh, uh, Ukrainians are, are, are killed and then they'll ha have to stop. But that this this is a, not not a good sign <clears throat> when the new speaker seems to have blended in. Uh, the American people want change. And this is this is not not a change. It's almost like you know, I was trying to get the definition of uh, evolving. <laughs> Maybe there's nothing evolving. Maybe there, you imply there's no change. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah. Yeah, I think it was chilling when he said, hey, you know, I communicated with the White House. If we need U.S. boots on the ground in Israel, we've got Article One, Article Two powers. We can sort it out. Rather than saying, listen, you better come to Congress. Let us know what your plan is. What is your end game? What's the goal? What are the resources that it, it, we need you to make this declaration? We need the authorization? No, it's, hey, don't worry. It's just like in the Bush era. Just ask us, Mr. President, wink, wink. We'll get you whatever you want. But, but <clears throat> never did he say that <clears throat> we have a constitutional obligation yeah. to defend ourselves in this country. They think that. They say, yeah. if you <clears throat> he killed an American over in Syria. So therefore, well, what, are they, what are we doing there? Yeah. And, and so few people ask that question. But fortunately, more people are asking the question. Yeah. And we'll uh, uh, encourage people to keep asking the question because the popular uh, attitude toward pumping more money and into Ukraine uh, has seemed to prevail and, and most Americans now don't see any any good of it even though some in there are saying yeah we need it for <laughs> Taiwan yeah something else well speaker Johnson here shows his ignorance and, and it's dangerous to have someone so ignorant being so warmongerish he's encouraging Israel to attack to attack Iran he literally says that in this interview with Hannity well in that case I don't think you can you can uh, put aside the very strong possibility that Russia would intervene to assist its ally Iran. Because if Israel successfully defeats Iran, it will take out Assad in Syria, and it will take out a Russian military base in Syria. So essentially what he is literally arguing for is <coughs> World War III. Rather than saying, guys, let's back down, let's find a peaceful way out of this, there's still time uh, for us to stop the killing, he's saying no. We need to ramp up the killing. Come on, Israel, attack Iran. That's what we want them to do. He's literally cheering on for World War III. It's, it's, it's not a joke. And sometimes, you know, the plans they have or the strategy, it goes haywire and you don't know what will happen. How quickly did this uh, whole whole invasion occur? Not too many people were predicting that, and not even the Israelis, unless there was a strategy there, too. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat>
<coughs> some words. Well, back down on planet Earth, uh, where we don't have a theocracy, uh, despite the efforts of some, Thomas Massey, who we've already praised as being right <coughs> on overturning the Speaker, and I admit that I was wrong. I thought it was kind of cool to overturn McCarthy because I don't like him. Turns out Massey was right. <coughs> he put out a little uh, uh, Twitter X uh, survey. He got 50,000 votes, not bad. But he asked the question, Biden's proposed foreign aid package would send billions of dollars to Ukraine and Israel. Congress would have to borrow or tax another $100 billion to send the money overseas. Do you, do you believe this money should go to, and first he says Ukraine and Israel, only 14%, only Israel, 17%, only Ukraine, 4%, or neither country, 63.2%, Obviously not a scientific survey, but I have to believe, <coughs> Dr. Paul, this is where the majority of the American people are. They do not want to have $100 billion sucked out of their pockets to be sent, not even sent overseas, but sent across town to Lockheed Martin and Raytheon uh, to build more weapons. Well, <coughs> it looks like there's a new record yeah. on, uh, on, from Gallup. Democrats' rating of Biden slips <laughs> to 37%. Is that a record or not? <laughs> Close to having a record. That's, right? that's, that's, a, that's, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, no I was just, just uh, suggesting that, <laughs> can it go lower? Can it go lower? <laughs> Probably. Well, here's the thing we were talking about <clears throat> a second ago is the idea that, you know, you know, President Bush became a wartime president and his approval rate was 92%. Um, uh, <clears throat> so I think Biden was hoping for some of that. And Max Blumenthal quoted, uh, commented on this. This new Gallup poll, if we can put the next clip up, Max, you know, spoke at our conference over the summer. He's a, he really is a good, great friend of civil liberties and peace. Uh, he commented on the new poll, Joe Biden's approval rating among Democrats has dropped by 11 points since he gave the green light on Israel's rampage against Gaza and blocked a successful ceasefire resolution, bringing him to his lowest point yet. So this is important. It's not among all Americans. Dr. Paul, it's among Democrats. Democrats' <coughs> approval has dropped 11 points. And I think a lot of what we're seeing here is that Biden has a huge block of voters who are liberal Democratic Jews. And they, by and large, uh, they're probably a lot more with us when it comes to civil liberties and civil rights. Uh, a lot of them, well, they were arrested in the Capitol. Remember last week we talked about it, protesting against... Uh, uh, this overwhelming destruction of Gaza. So I think he is losing a lot of the liberal Jewish voters that are kind of that core of the Democratic Party. And you say, well, where would they go? They're not going to go to the Speaker of the House. Um, but they may stay home. You know, they may stay home. I wonder if this will turn into an election like... Uh uh, 1972, I think McGovern was running, and it just snowballed, you know, <clears throat> and he, he, he won one state. Yeah. And, you know, what other, similar, there was a questionable uh, of, the, of the person that was running as a Republican, too, <clears throat> as if he was running against Nixon. Yeah. So, and then he ends up with that. So uh, that uh, remains to be seen, but we're going to find out soon, uh, within, the, within the year, but you're going to have this whole thing, because uh, there's going to be a lot of anger, and I worry about what, what, what happened. What, what, what if the insane people up there were able to keep uh, Trump off a ballot? Yeah. 
you know, and, and, you know, with the judicial system not owned by justice, you know, influenced by justice, uh, something crazy like that could happen. And that, that, that could elicit a, that, that, would, that would be a big thing. So, <clears throat> you know, the economic calamities that happen usually end up to class struggles, immigration problems, and then, uh, then war, you know, and, and they, they have this still, still this belief that goes around that war gets you out of depressions, yeah. you know, which is crazy yeah. because there's so much evidence that makes a depression worse, not not getting out of it. And it takes a long time to recover from depression and war. And if if the policies don't change, that's what we'll end up with. And it's clear that that's what both parties are gunning for in D.C. You know, the people don't want it. This is like, the, remember the Herman Goering quote, the people don't want war. All we have to do is bombard them with propaganda and they'll, you know, yeah. that, that famous quote. But the people don't want it. But you've got two carrier groups in the eastern Mediterranean who are ready to strike. You've got untold thousands of U.S. troops there. Now, according to Colonel McGregor, our good friend, who has a lot of great sources still in the military, he said that U.S. Special Forces... Uh, were involved with Israeli troops when they first made that incursion into Gaza a few days ago, and he used the word chewed up. Uh, they tried to go in there and were chewed up, so we don't know how many Americans may have died, but we know that there's some participation. You said it earlier when you said about CIA being there and special ops being there. So we know that we've got all these assets, unprecedented number of assets, two carrier groups there. Um, so we know that we're going to get involved unless someone puts the brakes on. And let's put this next clip up, because not only that, but thanks to Antiwar.com, who linked to a piece in The Intercept, the U.S. is quietly expanding a secret military base in Israel. <laughs> I didn't know this, Dr. Paul. I didn't know it. You know, the uh, information is out there, and we, we can't keep find every single bit. But there's so much that's out there, it's available, but it doesn't register with the people that has any significance, you know. Uh, you know, a secret base, <laughs> he said, uh, in some parts, well, we have them all over the place, yeah. but we don't pay any attention to them, so it doesn't register. This one happens to be in a place where, with, with a change, and uh, I don't know whether ambivalent is uh, the proper word for our leadership right now, you know, changing their minds on that and becoming more aggressive than... <coughs> Uh, alluding to the fact that uh, it was time to back off on some of this militarism. Mm -hmm. But I think this is a, a serious thing, what they, this move, because quietly usually means that somebody will hear about it and may see they, they probably figure the people won't find out, yeah. but maybe uh, the enemies will and think differently about this. Uh, but uh, I don't think they're going to scare off the Iranians very easily, you know, by us building a base there. It might stir them up more. Yeah. Well, here's a little bit from that Intercept article, if we can put that next clip on. Um, two months before Hamas attacked Israel, the Pentagon awarded a multi-billion dollar, multi-million, sorry, not billions yet, that comes <laughs> later, a multi-million dollar contract to build U.S. troop facilities for a secret base it maintains deep within Israel's desert, just 20 miles from Gaza. Codenamed Site 512, the long-standing U.S. base is a radar facility that monitors the skies for missile attacks on Israel. Well, they didn't do too well that day, but anyway, go to the next one. So that's so they were there. They've been there. It's a secret thing. Not so secret now. And it says, uh, though Joe's, uh, President Joe Biden said the, in the White House, insists there are no plans to send U.S. troops to Israel. 
amid its war on Hamas. A secret U.S. military presence in Israel already exists, and the government contracts and budget documents show it's evidently growing. So we're talking about $35.8 million more dollars for the troop facility. Uh, they're going to... Um, I think they're going to build more barracks there, though the DOD has taken pains to obscure the site's true nature, describing it as a classified worldwide project. Budget documents reviewed by The Intercept reveal that it is part of Site 512. So well, expanding the base there in Israel. Pretty soon that 35.8 million will turn into billions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, you were predicting the future when you said billions. It's only money. It'll be there. <laughs> just keep, keep the th thoughts and just take them out again and say, yeah, billions of dollars. What a waste, except uh, real wealth will be destroyed and they, don't, they cannot maintain it and they cannot maintain peace with more war, and this is what we're facing. And wouldn't you say that um, <clears throat> those, those years of the, the attack on Iraq, um, wouldn't you say that was related a little bit to what happened in 2008, the financial collapse? Oh, you know? yeah. People, people, and, and it, especially because the military-industrial complex are going to come and say, you know, even Kennedy used that. I remember that election back in 1960, it was. Uh, missile gap, missile yeah, gap. Yeah. It was every time. It, uh, it, he was, he, well, he became more peace-oriented, yeah. but that is not. But it's always used in people. So I'm sure this time that's what they did. They say we need to, they, they say that's, uh, you know, uh, I, I think, you know, Trump did the same thing. We need to rebuild the military. Yeah. Well, where'd it go? Yeah. Uh, you know, <laughs> yeah. well, we, we need to, oh, you mean those little wars? We're just testing the weapons. Yeah. And, you know, there that is true, too. Yeah. Hillary was top dog. When they, we got to toss them. How are we going to know? Yeah. How are we going to conquer the world if we don't test our weapons? Yeah, well, Israel's testing some for us, too, when it's an ocean of blood over there. Um, well, you know, this is the same theme, I guess, for our third uh, story, and they're all very much related. Um, if you can put that next one on Dave DeCamp wrote this up on anti-war. Uh, and then we've talked about this, but attacks on U.S. bases in Iraq and Syria continue after U.S. airstrikes. So we have, <coughs> as we said last week, we occupy a third of Syria. We don't, but Washington does. A third of Syria still have a lot of troops in Iraq. People would say, why? And they'd say, well, because they're shooting us. We have to stay <laughs> there. Um, so there's this pattern of, uh, you know, the U.S. having a military strike on some of these bases and then strikes from different uh, 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 assets in the region against U.S. military bases, which leads to more strikes on the, on the uh, you know, the groups and over and over again. So there you go. But it is ramping up. It's heating up. You know, and sometimes I, I watch a lot of the business news and sometimes you think the business people are more, less partisan all and less into the foreign policy. But so often I hear, hear, hear the comments, the Americans were attacked and the American was killed. Here we are 7,000 miles away uh, putting sanctions on countries and, uh, and then all of a sudden they're attacking us. Well, how far did we have to go to make it available where they could attack it? Oh, 7,000 miles, that's all. So, uh, but the, the whole concept that uh, we have to be there, you know, it's, it's, it's this fanaticism that goes along with empire. It never stops. <clears throat> sometimes it's money, sometimes it's power. But most of the time I think it's power because some of the people who run the show have a lot of money. And uh, 
but he, but eventually, since it's all fake, uh, there is a, there is a liquidation and a correction. Uh, but it's so painful that that is the problem. And it's it what gets me is it's all preventable. Yeah. You know, bad policy does this, and most of the time it's government behind the scenes and the people being careless and lackadaisical and not paying attention because as long as they get their food stamps, yeah. the big guys and the little guys, more of the big guys, you know, oh, as long as we get to spend money, they, they don't lament these uh, setbacks. Oh, more weapons to build. Yeah, um, it's a tragedy. You know, I, I remember very clearly. You know, the lead up to the second Iraq War in 2003. You know, and and I, I mean, it was a sort of feeling of powerlessness that something really terrible was about to happen, and we had no allies. There was no one there to stop it, and there really is that same feeling, that same kind of sick feeling, you know, in your stomach. But the reality is that. As terrible as that war was, certainly for the Iraqis, a half a million, a million dead, but we lost how many thousands of Americans? Well, Iran in 2023 is nowhere near Iraq in 2003. It's a different world, different weapons. We've seen Iranian weapons uh, being used by the Russians. This is going to be a different <coughs> kind of war if that's what the U.S. does. And if that's the case, we're going to see thousands of Americans dead. And you almost feel like they're not going to wake up out of this spell. Somehow they're in a trance. And they won't wake up out of this spell until, whoa, how did that happen? 10,000, 20,000 Americans dead? Maybe this won't happen. Hopefully it doesn't happen. But the fact that somebody's talking about Erdogan threatens to declare war and send military to Gaza. You know, th that, uh, that scares me. Yeah. Because... Uh, if, if they decide to do that, but uh, it, it might just be one of those strategy, try to head things off or who knows what. But a lot of times that strategy and those threats can backfire on them, even if they do it. Unintended consequences, who knows what will happen. But uh, this was something I think just came out recently. Yeah, well, he spoke at a big pro-Palestinian rally in Turkey. And uh, he's playing, he's got to be careful because he's been playing footsie with Israel for a long time on the one hand. But he has this massive population. I mean, uh, Turkey is the Sunni capital of the region. You think of Saudi and what have you. No, it's Turkey. And they're strongly, you know, they have a huge military. Uh, and they have a huge, and, and Erdogan himself is a populist. His appeal is among populist, uh, among, among Muslims, religious Muslims. So he's got to go in front of this big rally and play the tough guy, which is what he did. So the question is, I think, if he really does mean it, it will be a very, very um, different situation if he brings the force of Turkey. Well, that would mean he's, uh, I mean, what's that going to do to his relationship with NATO? Um, someone else said, we have nuclear weapons in Turkey. What would happen if Turkey turned against us on the Gaza war? That would be weird. Um, and so there's a lot of things, but I think a lot of people who watch Erdogan closely think he's bluffing and he's playing to his base, but it's a heck of a gamble. <laughs> and uh, t Turkey just happens to have been the place where we had missiles that precipitated the Cuban crisis <laughs> because we were putting That's our right. nukes on the border of Russia. And they said, well, why can't we put them on the borders of the United States? Yeah. And, uh, of, of course, things that uh, both sides backed away. Yeah, well, it's a terrifying time. But there is some good news. Uh, if we can put on that last clip. Monday morning, let's remind you that Dr. Paul is signing books for you. And all you have to do is give a little bit of tax-deductible support 
to the Ron Paul Institute. We've been around for 10 years. Nobody thought we'd last a year. We've been here for 10 years. We've been growing, expanding. We do the Ron Paul Liberty Report every day, of course, and we sustain a studio uh, here in Lake Jackson. But we also do the Ron Paul Institute conferences. We do a Young Scholar Seminar, which we hope to expand. We can do all of this and more. We can raise a g new generation of pro-peace Americans, but we can't do it without your help and your support. So our thank you to you for this support in our fall fundraiser is a signed <coughs> copy of Dr. Paul's new book as a gift for your donation. donation. I will include a link in the description when we finish the show uh, of how you can go about making your contribution uh, and getting your free copy of Dr. Paul's great book. We were on a plane going to D.C. last week, and I noticed your son, who was with us, was reading your book. And <laughs> he and his wife were reading it and commenting on it. And couldn't wait to get to the end. And then toward the end, Peggy said, I got it. I finished it. I know. <laughs> so they were enjoying it, too. And that made, that made me happy for having a little bit of a part in it. I'm sure it made you happy That's as well. Right. And what pleased me a lot was the pilot wanted a copy. Yeah, he wanted a copy, too. <laughs> That's right. That's and right. I talked with him because I identified with pilots and haven't been in the Air Force and that sort of thing. But uh, I think that is true about pilots. They're very independent, oh, yeah. libertarian minded. And I've got into conversation with some of them on that because, because a pilot... Uh, is uh, somebody that's responsible and uh, it's, it's, it's on their own, you know. I, I think they're, and that's why many of them are very, uh, very conservative or libertarian. Yeah. So uh, well, I'm, I'm always pleased to check out the pilots. <laughs> Good guys. See, and I'll also check up on their landings, too. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> But, uh, I'm yeah, all done, Dr. Okay, Paul. very so good. And I want to thank all our viewers today for tuning in. I, I know the message is not, uh, you, you know, all up, uh, everything positive and exciting and everything's going to be all right. But I always find that when I spoke at the college campuses, I would, uh, you know, lay it out as I saw it. And it was never, oh, it's rosy, tomorrow's perfect. And, 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 and you don't have to worry, we're going to pay for your school and we're going to send your food stamp and all this. Uh, but I, I told them the truth and I thought it was rather depressing to talk about that. But I always finish with the, uh, the last 10, 15 minutes, it would be that it's not necessary. Uh, it could have been avoided and it can be corrected. It's corrected by ideas, not by more wars and more guns and more killing. And, uh, and I was always impressed that so many of the young people, which were open-minded to the, the views of freedom, and they would come up and say, I like it because you're so optimistic. And I thought, hmm, that's good. I was, I was delighted to know that you can tell them the truth. And I decided maybe it's the truth that made them more optimistic, that they heard what they considered to be the truth. And then you can go from this. I, I you know, compare that somewhat to medicine. If the person is sick and you tell them this is what you have and that's not good news, but it's curable. You can have this surgery and you're going to get better. So, uh, yes, we are. But I'll tell you what, I guess I was more optimistic with some of my patients than I am with our society. It's going, it go, it's going to get better. It can get better. But that's the way it's been for a long time. And that is our challenge, identifying our problems, where are the ideas gone wrong, and for us to get people to endorse them and realize that good ideas cannot be stopped by armies. Uh, idea, good ideas will be spread, and that encourages me to keep plugging along. I want to thank everybody for tuning in today to the Liberty Report. Please come back soon.